Do you ever become comfortable in your Christian life? Where, you know, it's just the same old, same old, and, and, and you take your salvation for granted? You take what Jesus Christ has done for you for granted? And you sort of don't really apply yourself anymore because it's, you know, it's already been done. I, I don't have to worry about it. Some people get that way. I know not people around Grace Church. Of course not. I know that we have those kinds of times in our life where we become a, a, a little less excited about meeting with God. But we should be excited about meeting with God every single day. Today we're going to look at, yes, chapter 1. <laughs> I didn't want to give away too much, you know. But we're still in chapter 1. And it's the vision. I'm calling it the initial vision. It's been a long time since we've been in the book. And, and as a reminder, okay, this really is a letter. This is a letter that is going to be given to seven churches, representative churches of, I believe, not of church history, but of churches in general of what they look like. It's personal. It's personal at times because those people in the churches are going to have the Word of God staring them in the face because, you know what, they became comfortable. They, they were comfortable in their relationship with Christ. This particular communication is also going to speak about the impending judgment that's coming. He's also going to inform them and, and future generations of what is to come. And folks, I believe, even though this hasn't happened yet, it is going to come with my whole heart, mind, and soul. The Apostle John is communicating to these churching this impending judgment, not to frighten them. Uh-uh. Not at all to frighten them. But to get them out of their comfortableness and seek the face of the Savior. That's what he's trying to do. He's wanting them to open up their eyes to the great gift that they have in the salvation that they have and to repent of their sins because that's what he calls them to do each and every time. Repent. Some of us just go about our life and, yeah, we sin here, we sin there, but we, we don't take the time to look at that and say, I need a change. I need to do something about it. I need to go seek God. Now, to take this in a little bit of a different direction, have you ever had the time when you've been walking along the street in a crowd and, and you're with a lot of different people and you think you know someone that's in that crowd? Maybe it's someone famous, but you can't quite remember their name. I've had that since I've been in California. Oh, that's a movie star, but I don't know who that is, you know? Has anyone ever taken you for someone else, thinking that you were somebody famous? Well, I was at the Westchester Country Club lots of years ago when I was young, and someone came up to me talking to me as if I was Jack Nicholas. Now, don't laugh. <laughs> Those guys who played golf with me, I was not playing golf then. I was just at the golf course, Okay. But they did come up to me, and I said, obviously, you haven't seen me play golf. <laughs> and uh, they walked away. Jack Nicholas was a great golfer, and uh, so much different than I am or was. Maybe, maybe you heard a voice. And you're thinking that voice sounds like someone you know. Maybe you've heard that voice before. Uh, years and years ago, this happened. I was living back in uh, New York. I was single at the time. A friend of mine who was in advertising asked me to go to a professional baseball game with him because he was doing advertising for this particular team, which was not the New York Yankees. He was in advertising, and he had these great seats, great time. Uh, uh, I, I was with another young lady that's unspoken. <laughs> when the game was over... We were served a light meal. I mean, they were courting my friend, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. And at this point, we exited the ball park. 
the ball players were coming out at the same time. They say Mexit. And as we're going out, the fans were gathered around waiting to get autographs. Someone yelled, there's Rusty Staub. Another miscalculation of who it is. Before I knew it, there are a dozen people hanging around me, a dozen kids wanting to get my autograph. <laughs> and I'm like this, and, and I said to my friend, I, I don't want to encourage, and he said, oh, Rusty, don't disappoint the kids. <laughs> and so I stood there, and I started writing out my autograph. <laughs> I hope they don't try to collect it some, because uh, <laughs> it's not going to be Rusty's autograph. At the time, actually, though, I was feeling pretty good about it. Remember, I was uh, living in deception anyway. I was an unbeliever. But now I'm saved. And, and folks, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to be deceived by the false Christs that are out there. There are so many of them, and we have some of them lurking in our own life. We think we're okay. We think we're okay. I know Jesus, I I walked the aisle, I raised the hand, I got my name written in my Bible. Oh, I'm on my third Bible. I'm okay. We we think all of those kinds of things, you know. I I must be, okay, I go to Grace Community Church, I've nothing to worry about. But I'm comfortable in my Christianity, and I'm not meeting with God, and I'm taking it easy. Folks, it's not time to take it easy. Somebody asked me yesterday, so when are you going to retire? I said, when I go to heaven. That's when you retire. That's when you retire. Folks, I want to make sure that you know the real Christ. I want to make sure that you know what he demands of you. He does demand holiness. You be holy for I am holy. We see that in scripture. There's no easy going about this. If you've come to Jesus Christ, and you look at Luke, I think it's chapter 9, he said, you have to give up all this if you're going to come follow me. That's what you have to do. You have to give all this up for me. But we're comfortable. We're going along in our Christianity. You know, one good thing that's come out of the war that's in Ukraine, they had their largest class of students at the seminary there. You know, in war, you sort of take things seriously because that bomb could land on your head. And so the men have crowded the seminary there. I I can't wait to see it if I get to go there and to be able to teach them. A hundred men. When I was there, it was 22, 23, 25 sometimes. So we need to have a clear description. And that's what this is going to give us. This letter is going to give us. It's going to afford us the opportunity to see what Jesus does demand. And he does. So I'm going to read the whole thing, the whole of chapter 1 of what I'm going to be looking at for the next few weeks. And it says this, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother... And fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest was a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it was made to glow in a furnace, 
and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and, and his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, and the seven churches of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Folks, there's so many questions that you could have right now. What does this mean? What does that mean? What does this mean? We're going to go through this so that we have a picture of what's going on here. I've been to the island of Patmos. It's not really, I mean, it's a rock in the middle of the Mediterranean. Um, it's not very inviting, even modern day, at least from when we were there, except for the store where they were selling all the goodies, you know, the junk, all of that kind of stuff. That was about it. But in reading this text, you can see from how John is writing it how excited he is. He's thrilled. He's thrilled because he's seeing his Savior, the one that 50 years before he was walking with. The one that he saw as a human being alive, now he sees him in his glory. Folks, that's the next time we're going to see Jesus. We're going to see him in his glory. We get to see him in this text in his glory. I hope you see that. And so let's get started. It says there, I, John. John is being very emphatic here. In the other times when he says his name, he just says John. This is the third time that he refers to himself, but this time he says, I, John. He's expressing in that moment wonder because he's now going to see his Savior. He's identifying with those he is writing to as well. He is a fellow partaker, is what he says here, in the tribulation. Now you look around and you say, but I have no tribulation. I once had a man at Grace Church come up to me and say, Pastor, I don't have any tribulation. Does that mean I'm a Christian? I said, wait. Just wait. We all have tribulation, folks. You don't sometimes even know it, but you have tribulation. I believe John makes this identity, as would any shepherd here who was, has lived through persecution or in trouble, that we're in this together. Folks, when that tribulation starts to happen, and we will feel some of it, are we going to be in it together? Are we going to be locked hands? Are we going to be locked arms? Are we going to serve together? And are we going to witness together for Christ? I truly do appreciate what the elders did in some of the things when they tried to shut the church down. They stood together. I was at those elder meetings. They voted on it together 100%. And then they went around to each man and asked, oh, what are your thoughts on this? They didn't let anybody get away with that. They couldn't say, you know, one elder voted for it, and then outside he goes, no, 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 I didn't really like it. No, they were each spoken to. They stood together in the tribulation. And folks, when they sue Grace Church, they sue the elders. Not just the building and the church here. They sue all of the elders. They're going to be liable there. This is a blessing. There's a blessing in the shared experience that we have as believers, folks, that we can look toward the persecution. Do you know that's when the church grows? That's when it becomes more significant? That's when it says a lot because then people are on the outside go, why would you do that? Why would you die for a man who hung on a cross? Because you believe in him. You believe in him. You know him. This island of Patmos is 10 miles 
wide, 10 miles long, six miles in, in, in the other direction. This island is, a, is like, a, it is a rock, as I said. Those islands were used for one purpose and one purpose only. Send the people you don't like away. If you're in, in, uh, uh, in command of a, a, a city or whatever, you send people away to get rid of them. They didn't want to just execute John because here he is. He's an old man. Who wants to execute an old man? So they send him away to Patmos. Um, when you send him to, to go to, from uh, uh, Ephesus, uh, you go to Patmos, it's not that far. It's about 40 miles, not much longer than that. John was sent to Patmos as a criminal. He was sent into banishment. In other words, he was not to come back. They were not to hear from him again. Friends, this is not an Airbnb. This is not your verbo vacation on an island, you know, that has beautiful shores and all of that. There is no room service here. Probably there's not even much food. Because as I remember that island, it was rock. You know, I'm not growing a whole lot of stuff there. John says this, I, John, your brother. He said in the sense that he has things in common with them. See, that's what I, I like about being in the church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ. I believe that there's no difference between the pastor and the pew. When I was in the Roman Catholic Church, oh man, you couldn't go anywhere near those priests and you're bound down to them and all of this kind of stuff. And No, they're, they're, they're the same. We're in this together. John is a fellow partaker. It's, it's translated companion here, but it's a fellow partaker. They are in this together. A fellow partaker or companion of the tribulation does not mean the great tribulation, by the way, folks. It just means the tribulation of life, of getting through it, of being persecuted to some degree. Tribulation or troubles that Christians face today are personal rejection. Sometimes in your work, you don't get that promotion. Sometimes you don't get that order. When I was in business, sometimes I didn't get certain orders because I let them know I was a Christian. They weren't going to give me that order. That's okay. God knew. I didn't worry about it. Sometimes it's a familial rejection. Your parents wonder where you are. When we first became Christians, our parents went and got a detective to find out if we were in a cult. I'm serious, folks. Uh, they didn't persecute us necessarily, but they just wondered what's going on. Recently, I, I heard this story. Someone going into the Mall of America. I've never been there. One of these days, I, I want to go there without my wife. Um, just, just kidding. There was a person in the mall that was wearing the shirt, Jesus Saves. And the authorities came along and told him to get out. Yeah. I got, could you imagine that? Told him to get out. He went and made a whole bunch more to give them to other men they can give them to their wives. You guys didn't get that, did you? So when their wives are wearing the shirt and they go to the mall that they're told to get out. <laughs> okay, where's the coffee? Let's come on. We need more coffee here. We need to wake them all up. Anyway, and by the way, he's a millionaire now. No, I'm like, <laughs> while John uses this word fellow partaker in a sense, it calls for believers to be active participants now in God's kingdom. You can see why I said, I don't want you to become comfortable. You need to be active participants in God's kingdom. It's not about being a, uh, uh, just sitting out there and being a voyeur. You know, this is not Sunday football, you know, where you put it on the TV and you just sit there and maybe yell once in a while or clap once in a while. No, this is where you are a participant. You get involved in ministry. 900 people are coming to the ShepCon uh, trying to get ready to serve people. 900 are coming. 
Yesterday, when we had the thing here for a 1,000 people, there were all kinds of people serving and helping and getting food and coffee and all of this kind of stuff. That's a church that's alive. John is going to use three particular words here. Three words that are going to illustrate how close they are in this experience. The words are tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance. John uses these words to identify his brothers and his sisters in God's work. Somebody says to me, well, that person's not a Christian. Well, are they participating in those things? Tribulation? Are they, are they, are they part of the kingdom that I see them actively involved in the kingdom? And they are part of the perseverance. This tribulation is not something that is unexpected, folks. Jesus informed the disciples that they would one day experience great trouble. When you come to Christ, you can experience great trouble. One of the questions that was asked yesterday for those who were not there was, what do you do when you have a child and you have the authorities in the school trying to convince them that they are a different gender? How do you handle those things with your children when you're raising them up? And that's going to be part of the tribulation. Some may go to jail because they don't want the authorities telling them that they're a different gender. And I think that's a battle and and that you need to be willing to die for. That's something that you need to be willing to stand up for. How do you handle that? Well, in John 16, 33... Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. See, that's where you're going to have your peace. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. In the world, he goes on, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Now, all the things that we see around us, and and I said it yesterday as one of the answers in the question, I said, folks, nothing's really changed. Whatever society you go into, whether you're, you're, you're Jews coming out of, of Egypt into the promised land or you're a, 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 a new believer, the world has still been attacking because Satan doesn't give up. He's always doing it. So right now it happens to be this other issue. But there'll be another one and another one and another one. And there have been others. Acts chapter 14. And we do have a little bit of a traveling around the Bible today because we're setting a foundation, an introduction to this whole issue. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it says this. Let's start in verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations... We must enter the kingdom of God. It's not that that's going to get them saved, folks. They are saved. Their professing of their faith is going to be a tribulation for them. That's what's going to happen. In 1 Peter 2.21, and you don't need to turn there because you know this one, for I have been called for this very purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Another question that was asked yesterday was, what about the husbands who's overbearing? I think they called it toxic masculinity. What if he's overbearing towards his wife? What, what, what do you do there? And I, I said, well, for the unbeliever, and this was not said by me, it was said by Chris Mueller, but for the, for the wife, she has to come under 1 Peter chapter 3. That's what he said. And that that's the answer to that at that point if he's an unbeliever. If he's a believer, he gets confronted by the church. But as an unbeliever, he's dead. He needs to receive the gospel. That's what he needs to receive over and over and over again. The second word that's used here is kingdom. Suffering. Distress, hardship, rejection can be what we experience as believers. 
I, I can remember once I, I wanted this order. Oh, I wanted it so badly. And, and I knew that at times I wasn't getting an order and the big ones I wasn't getting from this particular purchasing agent because, guess what? She was giving the, my number to the, my competitor. But she didn't like me because I had witnessed to her. And so uh, she asked me, so what price do you think you're going to do? And I said, well, my, my, my boss has been thinking about this. And I gave her that price. Guess what? It wasn't the price. My boss was thinking about it. <laughs> I got the order, which proved that she was the one. And it was because I had already witnessed to her. She was getting a divorce. And, and I told her that that's not what you should be doing and talked to her about Christ and what he had for her. You see, folks, in this life, we spend so much time trying to avoid pain. We do. We spend lots for doctors to avoid pain. We spend lots to therapy for those people who may have done that in the past. We want to avoid pain. God gives us that for our good. You read through the life of Joseph, and and you go, wait a minute, he's thrown in a pit and then taken to jail after he's a good boy, a good man? Yeah, that's what he got. That was his reward for running away from Potiphar's wife, jail. We can't understand that. It's incomprehensible to us. But that's reality. This world, this kingdom is going to have tribulation, it's going to have hardship, it's going to have distress, and we need to embrace it. And frankly, I even think, say, thank you, God. You're still working with me. You're still trying to grow me to be the person of God that I need to be. Do I like waking up in the morning with a pain in the back or the neck or anything else? No. But thank you, Lord. Reminds me, I'm still human. The kingdom is experienced by believers once they're saved. You cannot experience the kingdom of being together. And and folks, I, I love Grace Church. I love the church, even when I go out in other churches. We're all in this kingdom, and we're going to be together for eternity. Yeah, you're stuck with me. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we are in God's kingdom now and looking forever to the better kingdom. That's what we're looking forward to, is the better kingdom. Turn with me to Colossians 1. Colossians 1. I actually read this for my baptism when I got baptized, and I... I have loved this portion of Scripture ever since. In those days, you, you didn't take notes up there, so I did memorize it at one point. But Colossians 1.9, and it says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, Colossians 1.9, we have not ceased to pray for you and, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's good stuff. We want to grow. We want God to challenge us to grow. So that, or in order that, it's a, I believe a hint of clause, you will walk in a manner worthy of the law to pl- Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Folks, you have become comfortable. You're wrong. You need to be increasing in the knowledge of God every single day growing. Uh, Yeah, you could do it by listening to podcasts. I think you take much more in when you you read the Word, you interact with it, you memorize it, you meditate upon it, those kinds of things. To please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience and joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Listen to this. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. My darkness, as an unbeliever, was dark, really dark. It was, it was terrible. I see things now. I understand things now that I could never have before because of God saving me. I hope you rejoice in that. 
Thank you, Lord, for opening up my eyes. Thank you for doing that work in my heart. I walked in darkness and no longer. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Folks, your sins have been paid for. And yes, you have more today and you'll have more tomorrow and you'll have more the next day and you'll have more the next day. And it's not just you. It's all of us. It's all of us. Folks, you don't want to live this life like David Crosby. I don't know if you ever listened to Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. David Crosby passed away just recently. The day before he passed away, he sent out a tweet. I'm not a tweeter, so I didn't see the tweet. I didn't receive the tweet. Okay, But he sent one out, and I heard about it. He said this, heaven is overrated. I... I mean, I was appalled by that. But I think the man is finding out what's going on. Since we're in his kingdom, that's God's kingdom, the pressures of tribulation are mounting. They're not going to go away. The world wants to encroach into our kingdom. They want to tell us that you can't have church. They want to tell us that you have to send your children to public school. Uh, and you'll have to listen about changing your, your sex and all of those kinds of things. Want to tell us who can go to your church? Who can teach in your schools? That's what they want to tell us. That we need to have this one and that one and that one. How about this? The, you can have a drag queen come to the public libraries and read to children. But when a pastor wants to do it, he can't come in. Wait a minute. What? There's something wrong here. Satan wants to destroy God's kingdom. His forces of evil are attacking from all directions. And, and I believe that's why our pastor, and I, I think it's an a, a incredibly noble thing that he wants to do, is to protect the children. Protect the children. Give so many different avenues in which children can be educated so they don't have to go to the public school system. The closer we get to the true, pure kingdom of God, the attacks are going to heat up. They're going to come faster and faster and faster. They're going to cause even some to fall away. Listen to this from 1 Timothy. You don't have to turn there. 1 Timothy 4.1. It says, the, the Spirit explicitly says this in latter times. Some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. That's why you can't become comfortable. You need to know what this word says. You need to know what God is speaking here. And don't become comfortable. <laughs> Think about this. When Paul is giving a warning to the Ephesian church, which we're going to be looking at in a few weeks, and he's talking to the Ephesian elders, he said, and there will be savage wolves among you. What? Those are elders. I have so many friends that have had churches that they've been kicked out of sometimes. Sometimes they'll split because the elders savagely go after the man. That's not Christianity. That's not the kingdom. They come in and they savagely tear the church apart. That's part of what Satan wants to do. As believers, we need to develop perseverance, patient endurance to overcome the present reality of the trouble that we're going to be following. The third term that is here, John uses to include his readers in on kingdom purposes, we see in Luke chapter 8. Look there with me, Luke, Luke chapter 8. Again, I warned you, there's a lots of different verses in, all over the place here. In Luke 8, verse 15 says this, but the seed of the, in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Don't become comfortable. Don't become comfortable. That's the idea, is that you're doing it with perseverance. You're doing something about it. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, I think 
Paul says it so well here. I love Romans. One day I would love to be able to preach through it, but it'll probably have to be in heaven. But Romans chapter 5, verse 3, it says this. And not only this, but we also exalted tribulations. Wait a minute, Paul. We exalt. We're happy in our tribulations. That's what he says. Knowing that tribulation, what? Brings about perseverance. The more trouble you have means that God is making you stronger for the next one. Really? Yeah, that's what happens when you become a believer. That's what you have to get ready for. Perseverance. And perseverance, what does it do? It brings about proven character. Proven character brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, has, who was given to us. You see, folks, we already have the Holy Spirit resident here. We are already in the kingdom of God. And so whatever you throw at us, what are you going to do? You can, you're going to kill me? What do I have then? Heaven. Heaven. I, I look forward to that. Friends, in a, a sense, we are all there now. The world that we are in is not our world. This is Satan's world. This is where he is the ruler at this point. This is not the world that God created. You go back to Genesis 1 and 2. That world was a world of no hate. That was a world that was obliterated at the fall. Yet the hope and the kingdom and the perseverance is coming through the return of the Messiah. And I hope he returns on those clouds that are coming in town today. What a glorious day. What a glorious day to look forward to, to set your mind on, to set your eyes on. Could you imagine all of us being without sin? Could you imagine us being perfect? That's what he has to offer to us. That's a glorious day. John continues in his introduction uh, to his readers here that he is on the island of Patmos. Uh, why is he there? I told you already he was being persecuted. He brings out the idea that he is their brother. Um, he's in their family. They're in the family together. Tribulation, kingdom, perseverance. That's what unites us, folks. That's what unites us. We can only be united as brothers and sisters as we experience the same kind of things. And that is the love of Christ, the Holy Spirit working in us, the tribulation, the kingdom, and the perseverance. I'm looking at the clock, and I'm looking at the message, and I'm going to be um, skipping a few things here because I want to make sure that you get the whole gist of this introduction. I don't want you to miss out on what John has to say to the churches. We're not going to get all the way there. John's further description is about what he experienced. He says this in verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a sound of trumpet. Just folks, just think about it for a minute. What if you heard that loud voice? What, what would it be like to hear? You know, he knew Jesus' voice. He had walked with him. He knew his voice. Here is John in this desolate, difficult living condition. He gets up on the Lord's Day, probably from sleeping on the ground, okay? And he worships God. John says he is in the Spirit. This description is of someone who is in a different state of consciousness, by the way, not us being in the Spirit. We'll talk about that in a little while. This is not a dream, but I find it also difficult to call it a trance. And I know that it's called a trance in some translations, and I would rather call it a vision. Could you imagine awakening this morning? To have your time with the Lord, and I, I know you do that every day, right? Yes, amen, you do it every day. Yeah, yeah. 
and you hear that voice. Jesus calls out to you. The voice is distinct as John knows the voice. While you and I are trying to adjust, what is this? Who is actually speaking? While you try to figure it out, what is going on, he's calling you. I joke around once in a while when I can't see the person, they call my name. I, yes, Lord? I, I, I just, you know, that's... Come on, Lord, I can't wait. Acts chapter 10. We're going to give you a few other experiences here with uh, apostles to see what uh, they did. Acts 10, 9 and 10. It says this, On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Here is Peter going to pray at the sixth hour. Hopefully we all pray at different times of the day. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. That's what it's called. Here is a trance. Let's look at Acts 22. This is an experience by Paul in Acts 22, verses 17 and 18. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. So he's being warned here and, and it says in a trance. Dr. Robert Thomas, who I respect extremely highly, he says the need to make a distinction. John did not sleep. John had just awakened from sleep. He was not in a trance. John was receiving a vision. I don't know how to, I've never had either, okay? So I wouldn't know how to give the description different, but he said this is, he is not asleep. He says this, that all his senses were suspended. Everything. He was truly and fully in the spirit, he was truly and fully in the spiritual realm is what he's trying to get across to us. John's experiences were, were similar, in, but they're not a dream. They were similar, but they were not a dream or a trance. John is under the power. Listen to this. John is under the control of the Holy Spirit completely. Completely. We as believers are instructed... Um, Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we're told to do. We need to be putting them on all the time. But we don't quite get there all the time. John has been enabled super, by, by some super kind of Spirit working, I mean, the Holy Spirit working in him, changing him completely. I don't know that there's another person that have had, has this happened to them, at least not that we've had it described to us. The Holy Spirit overtook John's sensory perceptions at this point. Because if you read the rest of the Revelation, you can see some things there. He doesn't know what he's talking about sometimes. He's saying things that have not never occurred. He, and he's trying to give them uh, some, some depth of understanding, but he, he's hard for him to do that because he's never seen it. He's being controlled. Why? Why is this going on now? Because God is closing out his testament to the saints. This is the revelation. This is the end. I mean, even says at the end of the book, he says, if you add to this, nuh-uh, nuh-uh, you cannot add to this. John did not hear, see, touch, taste the same way while he was in complete control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in complete control of him. Extraordinary. John is not going to be used, now going to be used, I should say, is now going to be used in an extraordinary way as a channel of truth. This is divine communication. 
God is truly speaking with him. Remember what happened with Moses when he saw God. You know, he came down off the mountain. He had this all this weight around him, you know. I mean, he, he, he couldn't even comprehend it. The trumpet sound is calling attention to what is going to be announced. Now, just take a look here. Look at uh, Revelation 4.1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open to, in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet, speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what you must, what must take place after these things. That's what's happening. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to him in this incredible vision is being given to him. You cannot ignore a blasting trumpet. If you've ever, I've I've never been one to play musical instruments, but when people play a a musical instrument, especially the trumpet, and they go, you know, you're going to hear it. I was a Boy Scout, and that's how we woke up in the morning. And I used to wonder, how could I steal that trumpet? Um, You know, I wanted to sleep in a little bit, you know, and but they have this thing going on. But look at this. There's another way. And you don't need to turn there, but Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3 is sort of a prelude or an introduction to this kind of thing. Prelude. Yeah. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 12. And we see what happens there. It says, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard a great rumbling, and behind me, Blessed is the glory of the Lord in this place. It was like an earthquake. Can you sleep during an earthquake? I know one person who was able to sleep during the 94 earthquake. My daughter. I don't know how she did it. You know, I have no idea how she did it, but she did. The rest of us are running around the house trying to keep things together. The communication that comes after getting someone's attention like this is going to be profound. It is of extreme importance. And this is what John says. He now begins to instruct him. And we see that in Revelation 1.11. He says, says this, Write in a book, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Write. That's what he says. Perfectly clear. Get out your laptop. I mean, no, I mean, get out your pen. Get out your papyrus and start writing about what you see here of the image of Christ. What's going on? The glory that we're going to. I got to tell you, folks, you're going to visit glory. You're going to come as close to heaven as you probably ever could by going through this passage of the glory of God, of glory of Christ. He's going to be recording this vision. Now, papyrus, just to go off on the side, Dr. Thomas would not let me get away with this because I took New Testament introduction with him. Papyrus is not parchment. Now you say, well, what's the big difference? Parchment was expensive, more firm, more reliable. He only had papyrus. And you start writing on this thing, and you start writing. By the way, they didn't even, they just kept writing the words, and they were attached to each other. You know, so they had to figure out what words he's trying to say there. Interesting. Parchment came from animal skins, whereas papyrus came from dried out plants. So they're not going to last as long. He was to write, and then he was to send it off to the churches, what was given to him in this vision. It was a command. It's in the present tense. It means you've got to keep doing it. Do it and don't stop. Not until you finish the writing. Can you imagine writing papyrus, all of these words that are here, the 22 chapters? The churches that John was to send this letter to were in Asia Minor. That's a present-day Turkey. Um, we've had the privilege of being able to go to Ephesus and see what's there. Um, it, it was a wonderful city at the time, not today. Uh, Izmir is the city that uh, is nearby. When it go, sent all to um, Turkey, 
They would land in Ephesus, which doesn't have a harbor anymore, but it used to. And then it was sent around in a clockwise direction. The letters were sent around. Now, wait a minute. What happened after they got it at Ephesus? Did they send it to the Xerox machine and get it Xeroxed? Mm-mm. Somebody had to write it again. Because you know what? I don't think Ephesus is going to want to give up that letter. They want to keep that there because now they've got an idea what's going to happen in the future. So we want to make sure we get the whole picture here. This is not, this is not like publishing a book at all. This is pretty spectacular if you want to know the truth. This is pretty incredible that God could make this happen in that day to be sent around. You say, oh, but, but maybe there's some mistakes. No, the, you, you look at the uh, uh, documents that they have. No, those things, there's, you could compare them and they still are the same. So they sail off to Turkey. Then they get to Ephesus. Then they have to go to the other cities. And they, this is not like going the 101 or the 5 freeway or the 405 freeway. These are primitive roads with all kinds of wild animals there. And they have to send it around. Folks, this is incidental to the, the, to the letter. But the content of this letter will absolutely catch the attention of these citizens as they read it. They're going to go, whoa, what is this? These are not the most prominent churches either. But folks, next week, we're going to look, starting in verse 12, at the glory of Jesus Christ. We've been given the introduction. Don't become complacent and comfortable in your walk with God. He's here every day. He's here every moment. Make him part of that every moment of your life. Don't become complacent. But this is what you need to do. Don't become some of these churches, because I've already read, obviously read ahead, and I've already started thinking through some of these churches. I'm going, those are churches that I know. That they've lost their first love. You don't want to lose your first love. If God spent his son coming to save you, What are you giving him in return? What are you giving him in return? That's the most important part of the introduction. Next week we see the glory of Christ and I can't wait to be able to put that together as I serve on jury duty this week. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, oh, thank you for John. Thank you that you've kept him around this long, John the Apostle, that we get to hear this, see this, and Lord, just relish this unbelievable, wonderful, incredible portion of Scripture that will touch each of our hearts, Lord, as we see the glory of Christ and then Christ speaking to the churches and telling them what they need to do. Lord God, I pray that if our church is is there, we would be people who repent all the time and don't become comfortable with where we're at. We don't become complacent with where we're at, but we are here to serve you each and every day for the rest of our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.